Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you join me today. And thanks again for downloading and subscribing. And if you know someone you think will like it, tell them to subscribe. And of course, please, I would love it if you would leave a review on iTunes. So that would be great. And I thank you in advance for that. Now, on today's episode of the podcast, I am thrilled to have Dr. Andrew Murray join me to discuss the building blocks of population health. Dr. Murray is a sports and, ed- and exercise medicine doctor, general practitioner, and runner who has worked in the Olympic, Paralympic, and Commonwealth Games, the Ryder Cup with various national and international squads. He currently works for the European and Challenge Tour Golf, the Sports Scotland Institute of Sport, and the Scottish Rugby Union. He is passionate about increasing physical activity for health and has worked for the Scottish government as their first physical activity champion and enjoys research with the University of Edinburgh in this area. And when I say he is a runner... I mean, he is a runner. He is an ultra marathoner. And we talk a little bit about that uh, in the podcast today. He's just one of those people that I think is, you know, amazing. And I don't know how people run that far. Anyway, that's not all this podcast is about. It's in there a little bit, but um, that's not everything. So what, what do we talk about in this episode? We discuss the role of preventative care as the foundation for population health how much exercise is enough, how sleep and diet contribute to optimal health. And he has some great advice on what are good things to eat. It's very, very simple and practical. And practical tips on how to implement a lot of stuff that he spoke about, healthier lifestyle changes and way to advocate in your community. So uh, I want to thank Dr. Andrew Murray so much for coming on. And it was a pleasure to talk to him. And I have been passing along the info he gave me. We did this interview a couple of weeks ago to all of my patients and family, and it's been great. So uh, thanks to Dr. Andrew Murray, and thank you all for tuning in and listening on today's episode all about how to live a healthier lifestyle and how to contribute to the population health of your community. So enjoy. Hey, Andrew, welcome to the podcast. I'm thrilled to have you on. It's great to be on. Thanks so much for the invite. Yeah, no, thank you for accepting. And now before we get on with our discussion today on population health and and the health of communities, uh, I'd love for you to kind of fill in the blanks a little bit from your bio about what your interest is in these subjects. Well, I must admit I'm extremely biased. I'm the father of two beautiful daughters. And I guess a question for me is, will they be happy and will they be healthy? So as a father, I really want to know. I'm also a family doctor, a general practitioner here in Scotland. So I guess what we're looking to do is to do what's best for every patient every time, but also to work out what we can do to help our populations. So I'm interested from that perspective. Um, And I guess I've had the opportunity to work as a family doctor, but also working for the Scottish Government, working for NHS Inform, working for various medical royal colleges, looking at the future of health. 
what it might bring and what opportunities are there. So it's all really exciting stuff because for me, the thing is that it's really, really easy to get down on how things are. But it's amazing to think how far we've come in health. I mean, worldwide, 200 years ago, life expectancy was only about 25. So we've put a man on the moon. We've done some remarkable things as a human race, but almost trebling life expectancy worldwide in the last 200 years, I think is a pretty significant achievement. And moreover, you know, 90% of what you hear in the media about healthcare, certainly in the UK, is negative. But actually on the ground, when you speak to colleagues and you speak to patients, 95% at least of what's happening is amazing and really, really good and a credit to the folk that are involved. So in terms of health, I'm in it as a father, um, I'm in it as a physician, and I also have an interest kind of in the policy perspective of it. And, you know, in talking with uh, population health and community health, that's obviously, I think, a big subject in all industrialized countries and and obviously third world countries as well. It's a worldwide issue. And uh, it's a big issue here in the U.S. as well. So where what do you think, what programs are out there that you think work and are there programs that have been tried and didn't work? So actually, let's go with what programs have maybe been tried and just didn't work. Well, in general terms, what is working extremely well is the actual treatment of disease is quite good. We've got a national health service in the UK, or that's what it's called, the National Health Service. But what we actually think it is is a national treatment service. Once you've got a disease, then the NHS treats you extremely well. But what isn't working at the moment is preventative medicine, working out how we can prevent issues occurring in the first place before they get you know, to the point that we need proper, serious, uh, industrial strength medication for it. Because in Scotland, and I believe it's much the same in the USA, it's not a lack of rescue helicopters. It's not a lack of clot-busting drugs or cancer specialists and things such as that. These things are extremely important, but what we're really, really lacking at the moment is the building blocks, you know? Working out how we can prevent people being physically inactive, eating the wrong sort of stuff, drinking too much alcohol or smoking too many cigarettes. These are the root cause of many of the significant uh, problems that we face in health because we know that maybe 100 years ago, there used to be all sorts of different things that affect us much less, you know? Yeah, infectious diseases are still an issue, but we're not likely to be eaten by savage creatures or to perish due to infectious diseases as much. At least 60 or 70% of deaths nowadays are caused by non-communicable diseases. Things such as heart attacks, type 2 diabetes, heart attacks, strokes, uh, and issues such as that. So it's these things that we need to combat and think differently about health, not only treating disease, but actually being really proactive uh, and getting on it before it becomes a problem. Well, we know that prevention can prevent things like heart attacks, like strokes, type 2 diabetes. We know this. I think as a society, we know this. I think governments know this. So where is the disconnect between we know it versus implementing it? Yeah. So I think that the argument is compelling and the aim is clear, you know. So it could be to get more people more active more often, or it could be to get more people eating more healthily more often. But it's an implementation gap we face. You know, what can we do? What concrete actions can lead to lasting change and improvement for individuals' health and actually for population health as well? And that's the difficulty. What actually works? And what we know is that there's not a silver bullet. You know, there's not one single intervention that will get things all better straight away. 
but it's about you know doing things across sectors so it can be in terms of education it could be what we teach in schools it can be how we communicate and the information that's out there in the mass and social media it can be about our healthcare systems it can be about urban design and infrastructure and transport systems so all of these uh, sectors have a key contribution to make and the good news is no matter what you're actually doing for your living you know be that in teaching be that in transport be that in healthcare or whatever you can make a contribution to get things better in terms of health be that in terms of what people are eating or physical inactivity the challenges that we face everyone's got you know a role as being part of the solution the other thing is it's not just all about governments we need to take action at community level at local level as well as national level and even beyond that you know we can collaborate internationally learn bright spots that have happened in different countries amazing things that are happening in the states amazing things that are happening in australia south america africa all these things um are things that we can take lessons from and apply it back home. Try things, take these bright spots and see if we can roll them out. And have you seen any of these bright spots that work? Do you have we any have. examples? Yeah. So working for the Scottish Government as a physical activity champion, working for various Royal Colleges, working in my current role for the University of Edinburgh, there are concrete actions that can lead to lasting change and improvement. So if I take a couple of examples from our backyard, 54% of calories are spent walking. So the Scottish Government looked to do, uh, and to leverage and take advantage of this. So getting more people to walk and to be physically active that way, recognising it's something that everybody can do. So leisure time walking has gone up significantly in Scotland. The other thing that we've tried to do is to recognise, you know, that the single best present you can give your kids, you know, is not a computer game. It's not these other sort of things. There are some amazing presents out there. I mean, Think about it at home. What is the single best present you've had? As a kid? Or now? Yeah. As a kid? Well, yeah, like a bike. Yeah. Getting your so first that's... bike is a big deal. Exactly. And, you know, you've got a favorite present. But, you know, I'm sure our listeners, if they take a few seconds just to think about a favorite present. But, you know, is there something better that we can give our children? Is there something better we can give ourselves than something that can add seven years to life? Something that can actually help prevent and treat more than 40 chronic diseases. Something that can make you happier. And something that can probably improve academic achievement. Be that at school or also productivity at work. And that gift is regular physical activity. You know, walking 30 minutes five times a week or equivalent. So that's a clear message we're taking into our schools. So each child in Scotland now either gets two hours of physical education uh, per week if they're in primary school or at least two periods if they're in secondary school. And again, there's a way to go. We like to do far more. Mm -hmm. But having gone from 15% to 98% is a significant improvement. Uh, so I think, you know, the people that have been involved in that sort of collaboration, because again, it's not that one person has done it. There's a whole range of folk that have contributed to it. So I guess they're concretes, you know, in terms of focusing and walking and driving levels up, uh, focusing on education and making it a part of what our children do. The Daily Mile, again, getting all our children to consider walking one mile every single day you know it sounds like baby steps but that can get you far so there are some of the success stories not everything works but certainly there are some things that we've learned in scotland and actually that's the best thing is most of the time we've heard other people talking about it and thought you know what that sounds like quite a good idea we'll share that mike evans from canada came up with a fantastic video called 23 and a half hours 
if you've not watched 23 and a half hours, it's probably the best nine minutes of uh, YouTube that you can watch. So check it out and share it on Twitter and Facebook. If you can, let's spread the word on it. But essentially it's asking you if you can limit your, your couch surfing, your sleeping and you're generally loafing around to 23 and a half hours. People say that they're too busy, but can you just limit your inactivity to 23 and a half hours? That's the challenge that Mike Evans has set down. And is that 23 and a half hours a week? So or 23 and a half hours, it's can you limit your inactivity per day to 23 and a half hours? So if there's 24 hours in a day, mm-hmm. then if you do 30 minutes of exercise, you've got the rest of the day to yourself. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, but 23 yeah. and a half hours of exercise, that, I know. that might be I better. Like, you might I was get like, to do Ironman or something. I know. I was like, is that per week? That seems like a lot. Um, okay, so 30 minutes a day. Yeah, that sounds perfectly reasonable. And, you know, I have a lot of my patients ask me on an almost weekly basis, especially if I have new patients coming in, how much exercise should I be getting a week? What makes sense? What doesn't make sense? What if I just walk for a couple of blocks in the city, you know, I'm in New York City, so we're a walking city, which I think is great. But I'm sure you get a lot of people coming in and asking you that question. What, how much? How much is? How much exercise should people be getting? Yeah, great question. So the first thing to say is that something is better than nothing. So if you're currently doing not very much, then there's a huge opportunity to step up what you're doing a little bit, uh, and you'll get enormous benefit from that. The, the Surgeon General, the Chief Medical Officer, depending where in the world you are, would recommend for adults 150 minutes per week of moderate intensity exercise. So that can be brisk walking. It can be anything that gets your heart rate up a little bit. For children over five, we recommend at least an hour per day. And again, it's actually quite difficult to stop kids doing an hour per day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, usually right. doing some type of exercise. And for younger children, my two kids are between one and five. Um, and... We advise three hours per day for them. And again, you know, most of that can be playing, getting about, doing stuff, crawling around, and generally being a kid. So again, that's something that can be achieved. The other thing is that, you know, if you do more than that, of course, the benefits are are higher, but they're just some of the guidance that our, uh, our health chiefs will put out there. The other thing I think is that, you know, I think it was Kylie Minogue, the, the great philosopher of our age, that said... You know, you're never too late. You've still got time. So I hear it a lot in my clinic because people saying I'm too old to exercise. And the good news is you're not. You know, there's so much benefit you can get, not only in terms of the, the physical health and the mental health, but also function. You're much less likely to be incapacitated and be able to spend quality time with your grandchildren or with your wife or your uh, husband or whatever if, if you're physically active throughout life. But also starting late, that's not a bad thing. You can absolutely do that. Um, but I guess my core message is start today. You know, even if you're doing a bit, then do a little bit more if you can. And if you're already physically active and meeting those guidelines, then you'll carry on doing that. It's a great, a great service that you're doing yourself. And you know, I, I think all of these are great examples of how to kind of get ahead of the curve with some primary prevention ideas. And exercise is obvious. Exercise, movement, being being able to move throughout your day is certainly one huge aspect of this kind of population health puzzle. Um, other aspects of it are obviously what we eat and sleep. And I think there's got to be at least 10, 10 pieces to this puzzle. So what else aside from exercise and movement 
do we as healthcare practitioners want to be advocating for our patients and our communities? You know, that's so interesting because you're exactly right. You know, do the basics well and your health will take care of itself. And, do you know, I mean, they say that the difference between first and fourth in the Olympics is 0.4 of 1%. And what is it that gets you to the finish line first? But most of the Olympians will tell you the core things really are to train hard and to train smart. They'll tell you that they eat exceptionally well and they also sleep exceptionally well. And actually the same messages apply to our populations. The best doctors by far are sleep. You know, get seven or eight hours per night more if you need it. Eat well. So just if it's advertised on TV, it's probably bad for you. Um, <laughs> so I tend to try and avoid things that are advertised on TV if I can. That's a pretty if good rule like, of thumb. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think eating fresh fruit and vegetables, uh, a Mediterranean diet, some of the good fats like avocado and olive oil, these things are all helpful. I'm a runner, so I do eat carbs as well. But I tend to try and eat a lot of carbs when I've earned it, you know. So it's about, you know, portion size, it's about fresh fruit and vegetables. A handful of nuts, again, is another great tip. It's actually one of the, the top ten of the causes of death worldwide is not eating enough nuts. So we're not talking about the salted or the chocolate type, but just plain nuts. Amazingly good for health. So there's some basics is plenty of fresh fruit and vegetables, uh, avoiding stuff advertised on TV, and a handful of nuts each day. And I'm sure you have patients that come to you that say, Gosh, that's really expensive to eat that way. So, well, so how, what, what do you say to that? Because, you know, I, I mean, I live in New York City. I have a, a little different of a population of the, for the people that, that I see. But, you know, we live in, in countries and in areas where there's a lot of different, strat, I guess, different areas of wealth, different distributions, right? So what... Or, or even, let's say, outside of wealth, what do you say to sort of the, the busy mom who's like, well, it's so much easier for me to just pop some chicken nuggets into the oven versus, you know, make a meal? Yeah, and do you know, the world's not easy. And we're not asking people to live a, a monastic or monk-like existence all of their life. So there's nothing wrong with a treat occasionally. Um, but I guess it's about, I suppose, trying to make good decisions consistently for our children or good decisions consistently for ourselves. And I feel as a physician, it's not my job to tell people what to do, but it's to provide information and allow people to make their own decisions with that. Um, but I think that actually it's quite achievable. So people say that physical activity is expensive, but actually if you're walking, uh, I walked to my meetings today rather than taking three buses. So that was uh, approximately $8 saved. Um, in terms of what I've eaten today, again, my breakfast, I had um, some spinach, I had an apple, and I had a pita bread. So that cost me about less than a dollar. Um, for my lunch, yeah, again, I had some carrots, I had some more spinach, I had a couple of satsumas. Again, I mean, these things didn't take any time at all to prepare. Uh, they were super cheap, and so it is actually more achievable than you think. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think in total I've eaten reasonably well today, and I don't always, but that's cost me maybe a total of four or five dollars, uh, and even one visit to McDonald's can definitely wipe that out, and I haven't cooked at all today. You know, if you were to cook, obviously that can involve a bit more time and effort, but there are super healthy things that you can get, and even frozen veg can be pretty decent, you know, in terms of broccoli, spinach, all that good stuff, and, you know, 
<clears throat> it helps in many ways, immune function and things, and can actually save you spending money on a whole load of other things as well. So eating easy is not necessarily easy, but there's some top tips and some great recipes online. Um, so I'd say find some stuff that works for you. Um, keep looking, keep getting ideas, and um, it's totally worth it. Yeah, so I think it's important for people to know that it doesn't have to be expensive, nor does it have to be time-consuming. Because I think those are probably the two biggest, quote-unquote, excuses you hear from people, that it's so much easier. Like you said, I could just go into McDonald's and grab something really quick versus preparing something the night before or versus going into a store and grabbing healthier things. You could do that just as quickly, I think. So I, I just, I think that if people kind of keep an open mind and sort of look for more creative solutions, that they're there and they can find them. Certainly they when are. it comes to food. I totally agree. And you know, your listeners have had some fantastic ideas uh, to share, but I guess my other thing is that we do, busy, we, we do live busy lives, there's no doubt about that, but do you know, <coughs> the average amount of TV watched in the UK and Scotland in particular is in excess of three hours. A day? Yeah. Whew. So I would think it would be relatively similar across much of the developed sure, world. sure, yeah. In North America, maybe similar, I don't know. But, do you know, I mean, we can we can use and we can configure our time slightly differently. So there is good stuff on TV, undoubtedly. But, you know, I grew up in Kenya and... Uh, I, I've spent some time running and actually, do you know, about 85% of the long distance running champions are from either Kenya or Ethiopia at the moment and only 1% of that population owns a TV and the average amount of TV watched is literally a matter of a few minutes. Mm -hmm. um, whilst in the UK, um, there's more than three hours watched per day and 22 minutes on average of physical activity. So I guess, you know, if we're looking to produce more champions in the US or more champions in the UK or Europe, what we could potentially do is uh, either try and get more physical activity and eat better, or we could perhaps just send all our televisions to Kenya. <laughs> One of the two. Uh, I, I, I really think that people will probably go for the first rather than the second option there. I can't imagine people giving up a TV anytime soon. Yeah. Um, for sure. I mean, I just stopped. I just canceled my cable and I like suffered with that decision for like a couple of weeks and found like I'm <laughs> doing it. I'm just canceling my cable because I don't need it, you know, but I just I do need the Internet. Um, yeah. OK, so talked about food, talked about exercise. How about sleep? Now, you know, you mentioned earlier kind of that difference between the Olymp the Olympian winning and the Olympian coming in fourth place. And a big part of that is that they sleep well. So what tips do you have for people for better sleep? Better sleep, there's some, there's some simple rule of thumbs that work really, really well. Um, so the first is to go to bed at a consistent time if you're able and to allow yourself at least eight hours in bed. Again, we're busy people, but if you can cut down on some of the, you know, the Facebook, the Twitter and the, uh, the TV, which, you know, can be really enjoyable as well. If you can cut down on that a little bit and make sure you spend at least eight hours in bed at least six days a week. You know, there are, there are nights that we're tight and stuff that'll help a ton and you'll actually be a lot more constructive during the day and you'll get things done faster. So actually that does save time in the long term. I also try and avoid uh, using my iPhone or using Twitter or Facebook or anything like that within an hour of going to bed because then, you know, the, the, the cogs are still turning around and, 
you know, if you're doing these things, then doing it in bed can make things more difficult for you to get asleep. The other things are simple. So, you know, eating well, eating healthily, that tends to allow better sleep uh, compared to some of the other sort of fattier, um, <coughs> saturated or sugary type things that kind of give you spikes and whatever. So there are some tips. There's some great infographics on sleep on Jan Lemur's website. He's got a terrific uh, website that looks at sports science and looks at all sorts of things, but it does also have some great infographics in sleep. So it's advising having your, your room at between 18 and 21 degrees, advising on making sure you've got curtains that can cut out most of the light, advising against having an eight-month-old eight baby that... Uh, <laughs> that cries all night next to you? <laughs> yeah. Um, so there, there are some of my tips. How about yourself? What, what, what do you find works, Karen? Um, I definitely find that putting down all devices... Um, no computer, no phone, nothing. Um, I do the same thing. Mine might be like a half an hour before I go to bed. And you're on Twitter all the time, so I don't know how you're putting down Twitter for the for the, You must do. You must be like a prolific tweeter during the day or something. I don't know how you do it. Um, well, you know, I really like Twitter, and the reason for that is that I, it's just such a good way of learning and just picking up information. Uh, and actually, do you know, just because it's on the internet, it might still be true. You never know. That's true. That's yeah. true. And, you know, so, people should know you did win the IOC Twitter competition um, by having the most retweeted tweet. Is that what? Yeah, it was the most retweeted tweet, I think. Okay, that's, that's very kind. Um, but right. it's a good way of engaging and sharing information yeah. as well. So to any listeners out there that have got, you know, good stuff to share, then uh, Twitter's a great medium, as is uh, Facebook for it. We're not really pushing it in people's faces. You're just getting it out there and uh, allowing people to um, process it if they yeah. wish. But my Twitter handle is at DocAndrewMurray uh, for anyone that might be interested in uh, sharing stuff with me. or Yeah, uh, and you share great stuff, great infographics. that I And I like those infographics because I then like to share them with my patients. Mm. You know, because some of them are, are really great and they're, they're clear and concise and simple. And that's what people want from an infographic is a clear, concise, simple way to look at perhaps something that's a little more complicated, like population health or like a community health program. Or even, like you said, the sort of tips on sleep, you know, like these are some really great things that you often share that I really like to pick up and, and then kind of show my patients. And then they say to themselves, oh, my gosh, like, I didn't know you can cut your risk by X amount by just by exercising, you know, cut your cardiovascular risk or cut your risk of a heart attack or a stroke or, you know, what have you just from some some exercise and some movement. You're right, because people take in visual information six and a half times more than they take written information if it's just text. So, you know, the differential's pretty big there. Um, and I get that myself. I'm a really visual type person, but I'm much more likely to take information in if it's presented graphically or if it's a, an animation or if it's a podcast. And, you know, mm -hmm. Healthy, Wealthy and Smart is fantastic in terms Thank of you. just listening to a range of really interesting people share their thoughts and share their stories and just making little differences to the way that we do things. So I'm really grateful for the chance to contribute, but it's well worth uh, going through your sort of back catalogue and just listening to, you know, a huge number of uh, brilliant people. Yeah. So a lot of, oh, thanks. Yeah. Lots of, lots of interesting people. And, and that's why I love it. Cause I always say it's been like a great education for me just to, 
be able to sit and chat with some people who are far smarter than I am. You know, it's always good when everyone else in the room is like much smarter than you because you know like you're going to be learning lots. And that's how I feel every time I speak to someone on here. So, um, and I would say, oh, getting back to what else do I do when I sleep? I actually don't have my room that cold because I'm always freezing cold. But I don't have a TV in my bedroom and never have. Um, oh. So I'm not even tempted to kind of look at that. And that was like an Oprah tip, like from a number of years ago. So I've never had a TV in my bedroom. And I think for me, the, the best way for me to go to sleep is I do go to bed around the same time every night and I read before I go to bed. And that's the thing. And, and people, some people meditate, some people read, some people, you know, but for me, those are the things that, and then once I'm asleep, I'm like a pretty, pretty sound sleeper. Um, and, you know, and you've then got I, some great tips there. Yeah. You've got some great tips. I really like the reading one as well. Uh, nothing helps me sleep better, be, better than, uh, uh, you know, even a short, like, 10 or 15-minute read. That's it, yep. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I also find that getting up at the same time every day is also pretty helpful as well. Um, and the thing that I struggle with sometimes is, you know, like on the weekends, well, you have two kids, so you're probably up at the same time every day, even on the weekends. So during the week, I'm up at like 6.15 and 6.30. And then on the weekends, sometimes, you know, I'll get up at 8 or 9 o'clock, and then I feel bad for getting that extra sleep. So is there like, should you always be getting the same amount of sleep every night? Like if one night you get 11 or 12 hours of sleep or 10 hours of sleep, does that kind of throw you off for, for the rest of your week? It depends on a range of things. So what we know about sleep is that people are more productive if they've had six hours or more. There's very few people are equally productive on less than six hours. Um, so that goes for more than 99% of the population. So if you... If you're confident that's you, then that's great, but it's probably statistically unlikely. Mm-hmm. And it's a false economy because, again, you're far more productive when you slept more, so you're going to achieve more when you're up. Um, so it's money in the bank. And we kind of know that from having sat exams and stuff. Um, we've thought that cramming is the right way forward, but actually, you know, in retrospect, then spending a bit of time to eat well and spending a bit of time to sleep, they're the guys that pass exams and pass them really well. Um but actually, you know, again, you're four and a half times more likely to get infections if you have slept uh, less than five hours. You're 1.7 times more likely to get injured if you've if you slept less. So all of these things are they're 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 quite big stats. So sleep can be powerful, but I guess you know, is there such a thing as too much sleep? You know, again, yes. many of the famous distance runners actually sleep for 10 hours per day because they're training so hard. So it kind of depends what you've been up to and if you've earned it. So if you've been for a big long bike ride or something like that, then you may actually need to sleep for an extra half an hour or an hour. But I think it would seem to be that somewhere between seven and nine hours tends to be the sleep, the sweet spot for most people. Um, people that are between, you know, uh, or or leading up to thirty years old, thirty years old, sometimes sleep a little bit more. But I can't say I'm a huge sleep expert. There's plenty of great information mm-hmm. on. But they're, they're some of the basics, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think those statistics are really startling. Um, and I think that's, 
again, these are some great things that we can take back to our patients, um, especially, I mean, I work with a lot of people who have chronic pain conditions, so oftentimes these people maybe aren't getting enough sleep. So I think a lot of the, those tips on sleep and taking back some of those statistics on sleep are great for patients, for them to understand the importance of sleep, you know, and a lot of those statistics on movement and the statistics surrounding food. I mean, these are great things that we can take back to our patients so that perhaps we can start within our own communities to build that awareness up. You're absolutely right. And other simple things like fresh air, you know, fresh air is much underrated. Being extra, getting out and being active has, has benefits, but actually fresh air has additional benefits. Uh, green space, again, spending some time in the great outdoors, nature's gym, huge benefits there. Um, and there are many simple things like socializing, laughing, going out with friends, spending some time doing that, as well as, you know, watching the TV if you wish. But I think that's it. It's just you're reminding yourself to try and do that sort of thing. It's all too easy just to sit down and watch, you know, TV for an evening and stuff. But if you can get out and go to a comedy or get out and even have a chat or go for a coffee or go for a walk or um, things like that. You know, that's what I love so much about having kids is they're always challenging you to do stuff. They're always wanting to do things. It's impossible to get Nina or Francesca to sit still for, for more than 20 minutes and stuff. And I think they're the best doctors, really. You know, you've got these wonderful medications and fantastic PTs and nurses and doctors and stuff, but... The basics of regular exercise, fresh air, socializing, eating well, sleeping well, and these things. You know, if you do all those sort of things, then things are likely to go well. Yeah, and, and you're more likely to just live, obviously live a, a healthier life. And then maybe the people around you can start modeling that. And that, so for people who I think are always looking to others to kind of, help push them along in their own health. I think as the individual, we have to look at what we're, what we're doing personally and then how can we then have others model our behavior and that might be the best way for a community health platform to start just with doing all the stuff that you just said. You're exactly right, Karen. I mean, people follow the herd. People follow other people's actions. So I think what we're doing may well influence what our children do. It may influence what our, our loved ones do. It might influence what our friends do. So I think there's more to it than looking after yourself. You're probably also um, helping others out as well or not helping, depending what you're up to. Right, right. I <laughs> and mean, we see that with, you know, office parties. The office parties in the UK, absolutely everyone brings cake. And that's fine. You know, let's celebrate. But how about bringing some fresh fruit and vegetables or um suggesting that people go for a walk together rather than having a meeting you know in an office like simple things like this uh taking the lifts rather than the elevator mm -hmm. i think we, we can actually be quite influential in terms of what we do and the way that we act ourselves and that's that's kind of how i started getting more into exercises that's what my friends are doing and uh, i kind of just followed the herd a little bit yeah and you know i, I that goes kind of goes into that, you know, someone kind of has to be the leader, then you have an early adopter, and then you kind of have the, the rest of the people and then those late adopters, right? But I think that it's, if 
you can be an early adopter or a leader, whether it be, like you said, in your office or in your community, then I think that's a great way to make a difference and to help the health of everyone around you. Because I think you kind of alluded to this earlier, our governments certainly play a role in that, but ultimately I think it needs to be on a more community and individual level and even within your peer group to kind of really make those small ripples into a big wave. Exactly. Do you know, and like little plants can grow big pretty fast and Mm -hmm. it's surprising the impact. I mean, if you think about it, you know, as a physio or as a nurse, you're likely to see half a million people in your professional career. So I think it was Anne Gates of Exercise Works pointed that out. And, you know, if for each of those people, you give them a little tip about health eating or sleep or exercise or fresh air or sociability or whatever it is, you know, that potentially is 500,000 people that you can infect. We can do stuff ourselves, but again, if you're providing that to the kids that you're teaching, if you're working at what you can contribute if you're in communications, if you're working at what you're doing in terms of health, then it's that sort of butterfly's wings type thing, isn't it? You know, little things can make a huge difference to our own health, but also also more widely. What would you say is, out of the stuff that we discussed today, what would, your, what would you want people to be like their top takeaways? My top takeaways is just that, you know, life's all about enjoying things. You know, it's about having a good time having fun I mean I probably care less if I live to 80 compared to 75 as long as I have a good time and I think some of the things that help with that are the same things that actually produce good health outcomes so do you know simple as simple as 30 minutes of walking building that into your daily life doing sitting less and walking more getting some fresh air fresh fruit and vegetables um socializing spending time with friends these are some of the things that i really enjoy doing and i also think that it's easy to underestimate that how difficult these things can be due to, to change things but the first couple of days are the most difficult when you look to make a change after that it gets easier and easier and just mm-hmm. becomes business as usual so i guess you know i've really enjoyed being a guest in the podcast because i always learn a ton from listening to them um but i think you know it comes down to simple science what we need to do in terms of health is to recognize that if we do the basics right, then good health will follow. We need to prevent as well as cure, and the opportunity is now. Yeah, and, and I couldn't agree more. And I have just one more, well, kind of two more questions. One is kind of I asked you this before we started, um, and if people don't know, you are an ultra marathoner and an ultra runner. So how do you do that? Like, in all seriousness, like, that is some major running. Like, that's a lot of running. Like, my <laughs> questions were always like, do you get bored? Do you have music on? Are you thinking the whole time? Do you go blank? Like, what is happening when you're running for, like, 135 miles? Yeah, well, do you know... Or more, in your case, more. I think, like many sports or many pursuits or trying to, trying to get good at something... The challenge, but the reward in equal measure, or perhaps even greater measure. So you know, you get these huge highs and you get these crashing lows. And every time I go out for a long run, uh, I think I'm going to need to stop or pull out or whatever. But you know, you get some amazing memories. So one thing I did was I ran 4,300 kilometres from far north Scotland to the Sahara Desert. And you know, the things that you see and the people that you meet 
and the experiences that you have, and some of them are quite embarrassing, you know, things don't go right all the time, mm-hmm. but just, you know, eventually reaching the Sahara Desert and kind of coming over the High Atlas Mountains and then just shooting down this sort of slingshot of river system into the desert itself, you know, they're just being silence and fresh air and sand it was is pretty amazing so it's that sort of experience you live for you know you live for the great times and sometimes it takes quite quite a lot of effort to get there but it's totally worth it so i i enjoy running i think if i didn't then i'd do something else that that's what i get my enjoyment out of you know running playing football doing stuff like that but you also get to see some amazing things so been fortunate to you know, run professionally a bit and race at the North Pole and uh, I ran seven ultras in the seven different continents under a week. So it's just like seeing the world in fast forward. Who wouldn't want to do that? Me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would do it in a car. I don't think I'd want to run it all, but it's not. No, I'm no. I mean, would I love to do it? Yes. Do do I in not unlike you, I probably don't love running. I ran one marathon and I was like, I'm good. Yeah, I'm happy. well, I did it. <laughs> you, know, anyone, you know, anyone that can run, you know, 10K or half marathon or marathon, it's it's a great achievement. Um, but I, I really enjoy it, and that's why I do it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's amazing. I mean, we could do a whole podcast on this because I have so many questions about from ultra runners. It's not even funny. So maybe another time. I won't keep peppering you with questions on that. Um, last thing, and this is what I ask all of my guests, is knowing what you know now and where you are in life, what advice would you give yourself as a new graduate? Let's say a new, you're a newly minted doctor. What advice would you give yourself as, as that new graduate, knowing what you know now? Again, I mean, one thing I'm really clear about as a health professional is it's not for us to tell people what to do, but it's to provide them with information. And a mistake that I was making for many years was just working out a medication that people needed. So... It's about treating their blood pressure, treating their uh, depression with another type of medication when actually these sort of other preventative and curative things can help substantially in terms of eating well, sleeping well, regular physical activity. These things are the basics. And I must admit, as a young doctor, I just didn't really invest enough in preventative medicine. Um, And again, we see it all the time. So, do you know... I remember taking a group of medical students recently and just asking them what our treatment for high blood pressure was. And the first nine answers I had were all medications. But we know that obviously cutting down on salt, we know that essentially sleeping well and regular exercise are actually just as effective as any of these things, if not more. So I suppose I, I would I would ask myself to see the big picture and to maybe to listen to more of your podcasts as well. Oh, that's nice. Um, well, thanks very much. And I think that's great advice for anyone, really for anyone in the, in the medical world, is to kind of look beyond the quick fix and try and see if you can make more of a lifestyle change for our patients. I mean, that's the hope. I know for physios, our hope is that we can make a lifestyle change uh, for our patients so that, number one, they're not dependent on us for everything. And number two, they can go on and live healthy and happy lives. So I think that's great, uh, great advice. So also, thank you for coming on. Again, if people want to follow you on Twitter, you're at Doc Andrew Murray, correct? Yeah, D-O-C Andrew Murray, same as the tennis player. Yes, yes, exactly. I know, that's why um, when we were in Monaco, they were talking about like the tweet and somebody said, oh, it's Andrew Murray. I was like, yeah, and he won Wimbledon. 
Some people laughed. <laughs> not everybody. Some people got it. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully I'm as healthy as him. I'm not as wealthy or smart, but I'll take the first yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure. Listen, if you're running seven ultra marathons in seven days, you might be healthier. Who knows? <laughs> um, so thanks for coming on. For everyone listening, we'll have a lot of the things that we reference to um, on the podcast today will all be in the show notes at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. So if you go there, we'll have links to everything that we talked about today so that you can easily find them. Um, so Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And everyone, thank you for listening. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.